just thrash it out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and this is Backstage Pass, a special episode where we chat to one of our Patreon supporters about an album that is special to them and metal and life in general. Today's guest is CJ Lines. Say hello, CJ. Hello, CJ. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, all right, kick off kick us off by telling us a bit about yourself and tell us how and when you got into metal oh okay um well yeah. i'm cj lines <laughs> uh, been into metal for about 30 years now uh started when i was very young uh in the mid to late 80s um and what got me into metal was iron maiden live after death uh and it was purely the cover art that i nice. just kept seeing in the local woolworths and was so drawn to it that's what i, I just thought that, didn't i say that on the last <laughs> yeah. episode the posters yes you really did it was incredible though <laughs> Just that image of Eddie coming out the grave, I think it's just the the most uh, striking of all the the Eddie images. Um, and yeah, I just I kept seeing it and just thought, I have to have this, I have to hear it. Uh, and until that time, I'd only really heard kind of pop music, rock music, what was in the charts. I'd never really heard anything like that. And I just remember bringing it home and it was on vinyl and putting the vinyl on the deck, playing it. And just hearing that bit at the start with the speech, the Churchill speech, yeah. and then that riff from Aces High, and I was just like, what is this? Oh, you you know what? This. this is the first digression of the day, because I want to go back to what you just said about seeing the, the picture of Eddie, because I know we talked about the Iron Maiden album covers in our episode, but I don't, I wonder, as you say that, because when you said that, it made me think of that too. I think for a lot of people, their first sort of, thought of metal was probably seeing eddie on an album mm -hmm. cover or a t-shirt yeah. or a back patch that's or possible a isn't it? Yeah. i mean the shirts were just everywhere you you couldn't go into town without seeing you know five people at least wearing an iron maiden shirt so right. even before or you'd a, heard or, a note of them you, you or knew a them. patch on the back of the denim yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and it's connection to like horror imagery you know, like for oh, that was yeah. one of the things that drew me into metal was the idea that I was a horror fan. And now same, you're telling same. me there's music that captures that. What? Yeah. Like if that kind of all fits together. Please continue. Yeah. No, it was exactly the same for me. Uh, the horror thing was was kind of what got me into metal. So I was a big fan of horror and fantasy, right, right from being very young. Um, and yeah, when I, I bought Life After Death and just heard just from the first few notes, I knew <laughs> this is this is the thing for me. Um, and you know, I, I've I've always maintained an interest in lots of other kinds of music as well. But I think from that moment, metal just had a a really special place in my my heart. Uh, and I think from there, you know, I graduated to all the, the big bands of the time, like Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, uh, and then gradually started getting heavier. And I think it was the early 90s where I went fully underground uh, because I really didn't like where things were going in the mainstream with like grunge and groove metal and new metal. That, that really didn't do it for me. So I started getting into the black death side of things which i guess uh brings us on to my choice of album right yeah yeah, yeah. well and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit but, um yeah, the, the first few notes thing i mean that's i've always said that about me when i first heard sabbath when i heard <clears throat> uh paranoid you know it was the oh, first yeah. like oh. first real heavy metal song that i heard and yeah from like from the first 30 seconds i was like this is my life this is me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the same with Aces High. Just, I mean, both of those songs have such a great opening as well. That's true. I felt that yeah. way with ACDC. 
Like is that was, what did it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just hearing yeah. those riffs, uh, ACDC, Twisted Sister, Def Leppard, those were kind of early, you know, really, really early um, rock and metal bands for me. And it, and it was, it was like hearing like an ACDC opening riff and being like, that just feels right, you know? Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting then how the, like for all three of us now that you can say that like the first things that we heard that made us go, yes, that's for me <laughs> really informed our tastes, you know, right through for the next 30 yeah. years. Cause me obviously, you know, starting with Sabbath, that's always been my kind of side of things. And I do, I did love like groove metal and stuff because a lot mm-hmm. of it had, you know, a very Sabbath influence. Brian, <laughs> you started with things like ACDC and Def Leppard. And obviously that's been your sort of, route as we know and now cj you're saying you started with iron maiden and that Mm. took you because maiden you know love them or hate them and nobody would ever call them a groove band (laughs) you know (laughs) um and so yeah when that came along you were like no i'm looking for something that's more like maiden but heavier and so you gravitated towards the sort of death and black sound yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely which is very connected to maiden yeah it is isn't it it's surprising how because you wouldn't if you just put you know I don't know, uh, Peace of Mind, next to this album, like the At The mm. Gates album, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yes, they're clearly in the same vein. But it's amazing mm-hmm. how many of those Black and Death bands, especially the Scandinavians, absolutely idolise Maiden. Yeah, and I think you, you can hear, I mean, we'll, we'll come through in more detail later, I'm sure, but but definitely on the guitar harmonies, if nothing else, you can really hear that that Maiden sound on, on this record. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, when did you and this is just us being you know like this is us when did you first start listening to thrash it out uh and how did you find us uh this i reckon probably about a year ago um it was a friend of mine uh michael leader oh yeah uh, you may or may not go and play from the facebook group uh and we were at a pub quiz together and we were on the same team uh and he said oh have you heard this podcast you'll love it it's all like old school metal and they they really talk about it in depth it's called thrash it out that's okay cool so uh i went and listened to it and sure enough it was very much up my street and what can you remember what the first episode you listened to was the first episode i listened to was the halloween one uh because i saw oh god this is two guys talking about keeper of the seven keys for <laughs> nearly four hours if, 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 if this isn't gonna pull me in then nothing will um, <laughs> that's a great that's I a great litmus test it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an acid test, isn't it? It's like, can you stand this much Halloween? <laughs> right. <laughs> if you can, welcome aboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was it was just weird because a lot of what you were saying just rang so true with me. Like, uh, I know you both into like fantasy stuff and role playing and and all that, and I think you made that connection with Halloween in the same way that that I did, and was just like, oh, yes, these are these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> Found my tribe. Um, yeah. uh, Michael Leader, incidentally, I know him through the comics scene and he uh-huh. interviewed me several years ago it was a while ago now on uh, a, a sort of um and mom if michael if you're listening forgive me if i've got this wrong but it seemed it was like a sort of community radio station that was run out of a cafe and was <laughs> the, like literally the pa in the cafe was us 
chatting in a corner and playing music, <laughs> but it was also being broadcast over the internet. Very, you know, a bit of an odd setup. Um, and he was, we were talking about favorite album of the year. And so, of course, naturally, I picked a Paradise Lost album. <laughs> uh, and so we're in, we're in this hipster cafe just south of the river in London, uh, like surrounded by people drinking flat whites with, you know, buzz Ooh. cuts and tattoos and stuff. And there's me playing like... <laughs> Uh, the, which which album was it? Um, Faith divides us, death unites us. By Paradise Lost, <laughs> and getting some very strange looks from the uh, patrons. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, that was fantastic. Um, so, what is your favourite album that we have covered on the show so far? Was it the Halloween albums or or the Maiden album? Um, I really love the Maiden episode. Um, I think, actually, I'm going to go a bit of a wild card on this uh, because it was a band I had always dismissed throughout my entire life. I took one look at them and went, no, this is not for me. I know you've had this feedback from a few people, but the Twisted Sister yes. episode right. absolutely blew my mind because I, I really thought they were just a glam band, a hair band, which is not not my thing at all. Um, but listening to tracks like Burning Hell, I was oh, just so good whoa so i, I found a, a classic album that, that quite rightly is is a classic uh that i just never heard before and i think that for me was was really exciting because you know i i now think it's a, a great record but before I'd, I'd never heard it so i think that was probably my favorite episode so far fantastic yeah that makes I'm, my heart happy well and that was my uh <laughs> that was my revelation with that album wasn't it yeah yeah quite rightly i mean it, it really wasn't what it looked like <laughs> i think to, I no think, and it was kind of the beginning of the end for them you know in terms of their uh their image because mm -hmm. once you know the music at, on that record was still at a very aggressive level and then it it sort of was diminishing returns after that yeah when their image became more of what was selling the band than the actual music but everything yeah. up to that album like their previous albums too yeah you can't stop rock and roll great stuff and yeah, no, yeah. I went back and I mean Under the Blade as well was oh, really, Under really the Blade good. is so good yeah I, th I think a lot of that is down to and especially CJ obviously you being from the UK as well we only saw little bits here and there of Twisted <clears> Sister <throat> on shows like Top of the Pops and what little yeah. we saw was obviously the most commercial yeah, the most material yeah, yeah. Um, and so we just kind of unless you were into them you how yeah. we, we had no idea that there was this as you say, like really hard rocking, aggressive sides of them that we mm -hmm. obviously heard on that album. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Lemmy vouching for them was a big deal. Yeah, for them. I, I watched the documentary that you recommended, the uh, We Are Twisted Fucking Sister. Oh, um, so good. And yeah, loved it. Such a great documentary, just a really interesting story. Uh, and yeah, the bits where, you know, they were talking about Lemmy standing up for them at that festival where they, <laughs> you know, they were threatened to, to get bottled. And then he just came out and said, no, these are my friends. Uh, <laughs> and they played and, and they went down really well. And, and yeah, it's... Not what I expected at all from a band that, that looked like that. Yeah, well, and good on Lemmy as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, Lemmy lived for playing live. You know, that, that was always his thing. And while I never saw them, I gather that at their height, Twisted Sister were an incredible live band because they'd spent years honing their show mm -hmm. on the New York underground circuit. Of course, yeah. Did yeah, you well, and just them, Dia, such a I did not, and that, and you know, it, when we talked about like Def Leppard and Twisted Sister being sort of gateway, you know, for me, I had a cousin who was three years older than me, 
And so that is where I learned, that's where I got all my music. So when he was into Duran Duran, I was into Duran Duran. When he, you know, Mm -hmm. when he moved into Def Leppard and Twisted Sister, I got into Def Leppard and Twisted Sister. And it wasn't until, you know, I got into like middle school that I started getting into the more aggressive stuff because Mm -hmm. I was picking it up from other kids at school. Um, And I think I told you this, Anthony, but I used to buy cassettes off of the, um, Yes, you know, you one of the kids that at on school. the last episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. right. And so, um, but prior to that, my cousin was like my gateway into that, and of course, MTV at the time. So, um, so yeah, he got to go see Twisted Sister, and I wasn't old enough to go see them at the time. And ah. I remember being crushed mm-hmm. about that. And it was the same thing with Def Leppard. And so, I didn't see Def Leppard until until basically they weren't the Def Leppard that I grew up with anymore. Right. That mm-hmm. was when I finally got to see them is when, you know, post adrenalize era Def Leppard, which was really when they just had gone, you know, almost to, they had become Duran Duran by that point. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, which again, uh, it, to me, like, that was a very important distinction because I couldn't reconcile even listening to their later stuff until I made that realization like, oh, they became Duran Duran and I like Duran Duran I can listen to them again now. Like I just had to get past. If you that just acknowledge that they've basically become a different band, yeah. Correct. Yeah, oh. it, I just couldn't. But that was like when I finally got to see them. So yeah, but Twisted Sister was always the one that got away. They're probably the only band I can think of because I now have tickets to see Judas Priest for the first time. They're probably the only band that I never got to see that was on that short list of bands because everybody else I've pretty much gotten to see by this point. Hellbent, hellbent for leather. Excellent. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the album then. So CJ, tell us what the album is that you've come on the show to talk about and why it's important to you. Okay. This was a really tough decision. <laughs> when you emailed me and said, uh, just pick one album. Uh, wow. <laughs> Now you know I, what we I, go through every week. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. It's harder than it looks. Uh, it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, this this actually was the first album that came to mind uh, when I saw your email. Uh, and then I went through about 20 others. Oh, I should do that. And then just came back and thought, you know what? Just go with your heart. Um, and the album that I chose is Slaughter of the Soul by At The Gates, um, which... It's an album that means a lot to me because, um, weirdly, when you when you listen to it, uh, this seems like an incongruous story, but um, it reminds me a lot of the late 90s when I was first starting to travel down from Birmingham, where I lived, uh, to London to see a lot of bands. Uh, because at the time, the kind of bands that I was into didn't play big UK tours. They would do one date in London and that, that was it. So um, I used to take the coach down from Birmingham, which was a much longer coach journey than oh in, god from went, from like, the coach car. station yeah, yeah from Digworth into <laughs> yeah, <Digbeth. laughs> you know so the one. <laughs> I was I wondered where you were from because of your accent but I didn't like to assume but yeah yeah oh god yeah so yeah Digbeth coach station opposite the institute yeah. just around the corner from the Mercat that's the one I, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I never work out. <laughs> yeah oh man <laughs> anyway sorry go on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I used to I used to take the coach uh, and it got quite regular um, because there were a lot of bands that I wanted to see uh, and it was quite easy. Like it took a long time, but it was reasonably cheap um, and you could go down there in the day and then get a late night coach at about two in the morning back. So um, to me as a as a young fan of music, that was that was a really 
cool way to spend the weekend um and i used to just have a walkman and a, a small bag full of about four tapes that i'd take with me um and i started to just take the same four tapes in rotation it kind of almost became a ritual and uh one of those albums that, that i'd copied onto onto tape was uh, at the gates slaughter of the soul and now i just i can't listen to it without thinking about that that excitement really of coming into London and of course the coach went very slowly through the bad traffic of London and I just get to see all this amazing uh, gothic architecture and it and it felt really like like almost in a fantasy novel where they go into the you know the capital city and it's all <laughs> spectacular and uh, yeah I I think um, even now when I listen to it I still have that that image in my head and that excitement um and it's just a great record it's still it still stands up but you take out the personal association and it's just i don't know i've been listening to it a lot this week uh, prior to uh, coming on this and it's just it still blows me away i just think it's a, a perfect record wow yeah the I, I mean just a quick aside the the whole mm. association with music thing i get that all the time and i'm sure you must as well brian um absolutely i there are certain like if when i hear um ministry's album psalm 69 i am mm. immediately back in uh like the bedroom of an old friend of mine uh, listening to that you know on his crappy stereo when i mm. hear front 242 i am back uh, <laughs> edwards number eight in Birmingham. Yeah. contamination um, exactly <laughs> contamination club yes uh, um when I hear Typo Negative's October Rust, I am driving back at midnight from my friends in Stourbridge back to my flat mm-hmm. in Birmingham. All of these, when you listen to something continually in a certain way, it just it builds up that association and it's so yeah. strong. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it that that emotional connection to a point in time and the soundtrack of that moment of your life or even a conversation or even like a snippet of one tiny thing. Like I, when you said that, I remember working at the local hockey rink, which was the first job that I ever had. I was a janitor at the local hockey rink when I was 14 years old. And when I was a freshman in high school, and I remember talking to one of the other kids that worked there about the new Alice in Chains album Dirt that had just come out. I remember talking, and I remember us being like, this is going to be the thing that we listen to like all summer long. Like I just, <laughs> like I distinctly remember that conversation and the, the, you know, the, the cover art for that album and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so many albums and so many songs that tie back to a very specific moment mm-hmm. or a specific routine. Um, you know, I used that my job after that was working at a grocery store. And so we used to get assigned to the parking lot to go get all of the, um, shopping carts and bring them back into. And so I used to sign up for that duty as much as I could, because then I could take my Walkman outside and listen to it in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And so much like you just said, where you would pick a couple of albums and bring them with you. That's exactly what I would do. If I knew I was working eight hours today or six hours today, I would say, okay, what are the one to two albums that I'm going to take with me. And I would just listen to them over and over and over again while I was walking around the parking lot, getting, you know, getting shopping carts and bringing them back into (laughs) the thing. And and it was, and it just ingrained them into your DNA because you listen to them so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. It's like, yeah, they think that that's a punishment detail, but you're like for a metaler, that's like, no, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And people are like, why do you want to go out on lot duty all the time? And, And I was like, 
because I get to listen to music all day. Yeah. Like that, that's almost a dream job. You I'm know what I mean? Being like, paid to put on my headphones. <laughs> right. I could stay in here and bag groceries or I could go out in the parking lot and listen to metal for four but hours. Bag groceries <laughs> while listening to the store music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> More Duran Duran. <laughs> Right. If I needed a palate cleanser, I could always come right. in and listen to uh, some Duran Duran and then uh, and then head back out and throw in my Operation Mind Crime. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, obviously, Brian and I have been listening to this as well since you told us that this is the mm. album you wanted to come on and talk about. I've got to admit, it wasn't really for me. There's some oh. bits of it that I like. Uh, and I, was, the, I was really curious as to what you guys would think. Yeah, there's <laughs> like, well, and there's a connection, sort of, because Adrian Erlinson, the drummer from At The Gates, mm. was in Paradise Lost for a while, and also yes. in Valenfire, uh, Greg McIntosh's mm. side project for a, a couple of albums as well. So, you know, I was kind of like thinking, oh, you know, uh, but yeah, as I say, it's not bad. I wouldn't switch it off or anything, but, mm. and I liked the opening track. The opening track, of oh, Blinded by Fear, brilliant. Yeah. But yeah. that for me is the best track on the album. And from there onwards, it just kind of. I think it's, it's tricky because Blinded by Fear is such an astonishing opening track. Uh, it's and, difficult and yeah, to measure I, up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree that, you know, the rest of the album is brilliant as I think it is, doesn't quite measure up to that, but then I don't think anything does. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think as album openers go, I, I just cannot think of a better one than that. Just the way it starts with the, the static and then the grinding machinery and then oh, the, yeah. the quotes. And then it just goes da -da, da -da, and then straight in. And it just doesn't, doesn't fuck around. It's just so, short and brutal and catchy and just you know exactly what this album is going to be like from that first track um and it's pretty relentless like, i will you know, say that uh mm. to to make you feel better cj this album was 100 percent for me mm. uh i Excellent. absolutely loved this album and and um i'm sure we've talked about on the show because we've done a couple of at least one or two death metal albums so far um i'm not a death metal fan like that was never my thing i never really mm. got into that what i am finding out is that melodic death metal is what appeals to me yes. and i think these guys are this album you know in reading the interviews and the reviews of this album and kind of diving into it um is considered a masterpiece and i yeah. think rightfully so um for me I it also it is the second Goblin Thrash album that we've had on the show <laughs> behind Huntress. So we now have two. Uh, so now anytime if anybody out there is wearing the uh the t-shirt for Thrash It Out, you you're now wearing a, a Huntress t-shirt and a at the gates t-shirt. And every time you hear us say Goblin Thrash, you're obligated to throw the horns. <laughs> yeah, you're obligated to throw the horns. And uh to to me, like this album, it just there was a lot of nice little twists and turns yeah. of where I feel like, and again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I, what, what I struggle with with death metal a lot is that, it, to me, a lot of it sounds very samey. And I struggle to really hear the differences in a lot of the music. And for these guys, I felt like they had a lot of neat twists and turns. I felt mm -hmm. like the melodies were distinct in each song. Um even if it was mostly thrash with a little bit of melody, there are songs that are more melody and less thrash. And there are songs that have like a great groove to them too. Like, um, uh, cold, cold is a great yeah. one yeah. You know, in terms of like this, yeah. this really sort of, uh, groovy They, I mean, and then of course you have Andy LaRocque who does the solo oh, for that song yeah, from King Diamond. Um, 
and you know with a whammy bar and all i mean just like awesome <laughs> that, that like that so that was a great like 80s throwback um song and so yeah like this this song that first song blinded by fear just punches you right in the gut yeah. and then i just felt like from there they kept the aggression level up but gave you a lot of different looks and yep. so um but the first time i listened to it i was like ooh this is not necessarily my thing but by the second or third listen through the album i was like yep this is really good <laughs> and i've probably listened to it you know 15 or 16 times now and it it really has definitely resonated enough with me where i want to hear the rest of their stuff and i'm really excited to go back and listen to the 2014 album that came out because yeah war with reality sorry let me say that again (laughs) at war with reality (laughs) yeah because that was pretty critically acclaimed too as far as um you know sort of a return to form well it's interesting because slaughter of the soul when it came out um didn't make a massive splash and i remember at the time i was on quite a lot of metal news groups um Uh Yep, if you remember news groups, oh, yes. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the really kind of metal elite uh, people on those groups thought that Slaughter of the Soul was oh, it's selling out, oh, too much melody. Because really? the earlier advocates wow. album, uh, they're a lot harsher. I mean, especially um, their first album, The Red in the Sky Is Ours, is really much much harsher. Uh, and I think by the time Slaughter of the Soul had come out, in my opinion, they'd refined their sound to something that was just perfect. Um, uh, but a lot of the elitists thought that this was, oh, you know, it's, it's a pop album. It's got choruses. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I always felt like it was a bit of a, you know, well, I, I like this album a lot, but no one else seems yeah. to. And then just gradually over time, it's become right, rightfully hailed as a, a classic and a massive influence on, on a lot of things that have come after it. And it was also the last album they recorded before they split. It was, yeah. Which right. is interesting. So, I mean, is that is there a story around that connection yeah. to the album? Uh, well, they had they had a really, really, really unpleasant tour uh, just before they recorded this, where everything went a bit wrong and they got stranded, I think, in Manchester, of all places. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they, they had a really uh, tough time. They were on the cusp of splitting up, and then Earache, uh, the record label, got in touch with them and said... Yeah, we'd like to sign you guys. So they kind of took that as a, okay, we should keep going. We should, you know, we should take this. This is one of our favorite labels. They've offered us a deal. Um, and yeah, they they eventually recorded Slaughter of the Soul, which they put everything into. Um, so I think you can hear, if nothing else, there's a there's an energy to it. There's a real like desperation. Oh there. yeah. And they, they were already young. They were like about 21, 22 at well, the time when they recorded this. Um, so they think, said that the the lyrics for this album were basically a 20-year-old trying to figure out the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's one reason why I connected to it so much at the time, because I, I could completely relate to a lot of it. I mean, it was heightened. It's very, very, <laughs> you know, very dark and very exaggerated. But at the same time, I think I certainly had moods where i i could completely relate to a lot of what what Lindbergh was was writing about in this um and i think what what makes it particularly nice just straying off on a tangent slightly is that darkness of the lyrics coupled with some pretty triumphal riffs at times yeah they're really soaring some of the I harmonies. and I, I think that can take you from that darkness and from the shrieking of the the vocals into a much more positive place because it's so 
like ferociously up at times musically um but yeah you know after they recorded this i think all the pressures had uh, got a little bit too much and they toured it and then just went nope can't do this anymore and, oh, and imploded wow. Yeah. Um, so that's that contrast is interesting because one of the things that brian you said earlier about uh the sort of uh, discovering that maybe melodic death not straight death but melodic death specifically actually is up your alley is thinking about and i mentioned this a few episodes ago thinking about how uh in fact it was when we were talking about huntress how about how styles have changed so much and there's been like, you know, the sort of the explosion of death and black metal in the 90s and early 2000s has had such an influence that they are almost now, some of the tropes of that genre are actually now just mainstream metal mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm thinking of something yeah. like, say, the Amon Amarth album that we did, oh, yeah. which yeah. now is considered to be power metal. That's melodic power yeah. metal. But if you right. played that for somebody in the 90s, they would have said, oh my God, this is like de Swedish death metal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So, you yeah. know, it's uh, it's interesting how those the and definitions wonder, of the styles change. You know, I, I wonder, like at the time when the music was at its darkest, you know, and, and sort of um, the lack of melody and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in some ways, it's almost a response to the times, right? Like it, it has to be so opposite of what was mainstream at that point in time mm -hmm. that it's, it's literally just like a scorched earth policy of like, we are the exact opposite of everything. And then I think as time goes on, that gets refined a little bit, you know, but like when it first comes out, it's such a statement of like against what the mainstream is that it is, you know, it's just, there's nothing to associate it with whatever the mainstream is at that point in time, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it takes years so. to, yeah, just for its influence to seep in. So um, I'm interested, CJ, because obviously At The Gates are Swedish, the Swedish, mm. you know, sort of metal scene, uh ebbs and flows but you know it's 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 been a constant for quite some time now oh, yeah. so yeah. are the are you into the swedish scene per se or is it just <laughs> at the gates no i like a lot of swedish metal i think for me at the gates will always be the best of, of that kind um i mean i really enjoyed a lot of dark tranquility stuff at the time as well and they were you know often banded together um i have no particular problem with inflames I, I quite like a lot of their inflames. stuff um, <laughs> you know i mean i like how you word that i have no problem with <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like in flames i i get and i, I like uh, but they don't have that same effect there there is something a little bit there's a disconnect with within flames and, and me unfortunately but um what about but yeah, entombed entombed yeah i really really like the early stuff like left hand path is is fantastic i think all the way up to uh to ride shoot straight and speak the truth oh yeah yeah up to that point i like and then it started to get a bit too groovy uh, for my liking that's why i was wondering because obviously with wolverine blues they sort of started doing yeah. the whole death, death and roll thing which, yeah. which i was okay with um i mean i think they did it quite well in general i don't like when bands put unroll at the end of their genre <laughs> like there's, there's even like a black and roll thing now if people wow, are sort really? of doing black metal and rock and roll which is just like no no this is totally not what black metal is for me um so yeah i mean i i don't know like it's funny you should mention a monomath um because i think there's there is such a connection between uh what was you know what was happening with melodic death at the time i mean the modern math were around at the same time as at the gates is, is the weird thing even though i don't think they 
released their first album until a few years after this, right. if I'm right. Um, but, this was 95, right? Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think from memory, the first Amon Amarth album's about 98 or something like I that. I think you're right. They were yeah, for- but, formed in 92, Yeah, uh, and then uh, first album was 98, yeah. 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 So I feel like they're they're from that place that that scene, yeah. um, and you can you can definitely hear it. But I think it, going back to something Anthony said on the the Amonamath, uh episode about natural growlers, which when I heard that, <laughs> I thought, yes, I totally get. I think that's what's pushed me out a little bit of Amonamath and, and in Flames to a lesser extent. Is the the vocals sound a little bit contrived? It's like we feel like this is how we should be singing it. Whereas you listen to Slaughter of the Soul and Thomas Lindbergh's voice on that is just a howl. He, he, is, he seems like he's about ready to just throw yeah. the mic out the window and it just sounds, burn the studio down. It sounds hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you, there's, you said, there's a hysteria to it. You called it shrieking earlier. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's yeah. for, for that sort of style, that's a perfect way of putting it because there are some people who do this style and it does sound affected. It doesn't sound natural. But mm. but this one, you're right. It does. It just sounds like he's shrieking at the top of his lungs. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have heard the demo tracks. Um, they they reissued Slaughter of the Soul a few years ago with a couple of demo tracks. Um, no, the, I didn't. Oh, the, check them out if you can. The the demo of Suicide Nation in particular is just ferocious. It is so savage. Much much uh, more so even than the version on the on the record, which is pretty full on in itself. Uh, doesn't that that often happens though? Doesn't it? The demos of you know that's always the the great holy grail of making a record in the studio mm-hmm. is trying to capture the energy yeah. of a band either live or of the demos that they recorded in their basement, and then trying yeah. to sort of trying to capture that same energy whilst also polishing the sound. And obviously, a lot of the time you have to compromise one or the other. Yeah, which is a, a great shame. Yeah, I, I think this this does about as good a job as as they could have done. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the demos are rawer, but um, I mean the, the record doesn't. Yeah, the, I I don't have a complaint about how it's produced or recorded or performed. It, it sounds like they're all just smashing the shit out of everything. <laughs> have you guys go seen the, the documentary that Sam Dunn did on this one? Uh, was that the Evolution of Metal? Yeah, Metal Evolution. Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a I special episode what, where he goes into an album. on this particular album? Yeah, oh, no, yeah, I haven't. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. You can put it in the show notes, Anthony. But it's uh, it's basically like a half-hour documentary. I haven't finished watching it yet, but just getting into it, you know, um, they were talking about how uh, Anders and Jonas uh, Bjorler, who are the the guitar and bass player, were the you know the primary driving force from a musical standpoint. And how I think it, one of the other guys was saying like that they were crazy. Yeah, you know about <laughs> they were obsessive about the production of this album and their equipment kind of sucked. And so that's where they were not super happy on the production side. But it wasn't for a lack of them like being completely obsessed with how everything on this album sounded. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think the the story um, in the documentary that stuck with me was what Adrian Alenson was saying about the drumming and how they wanted that hard snare sound to be on every single beat that he hit, that sort of... 
exists, yeah. which you can really hear. Um, and in order to do that, he had to drum in a really strange way. He kind of does this hand gesture in the documentary where he's kind of twisting his arms around. Uh, and he says after two days of doing it, his hands were just bleeding, his skin was falling off, but they were obsessed with getting that really hard sound. And because, you know, it was before Pro Tools or anything like yeah, that, yeah. all they could do was just keep hitting it. So I think you can really hear the, the blood and skin going into the, <laughs> the drumming in this. <laughs> and in an interview for their newer album, Jonas was asked a question about Slaughter of the Soul. Uh, you know, you know what was memorable for that album for you? And he said, well, well, I wasn't satisfied with it when we released it. I wasn't happy with the production and stuff like that and some of the minor issues with the album. And so even with that blood, sweat and tears that they put into that, you know, he still didn't feel like it was the perfect representation of what they were trying to do you know yeah but i think you know and you and i have talked about this before i'm sure that's not which is every artist right it's not necessarily a bad thing every artist feels that way about everything they put out and i personally i think that's healthy i think if you put out something that's perfect i've made the perfect record you may as well retire you may as well go home you know (laughs) what's the point i think actually being a music fan has been helpful to me from a writing standpoint because I've been able to, like, there's always this pull to go back and and sort of remaster what you did before. Like, I think about some of the stuff that I wrote, you know, like my first book. Like, I would, if someone handed that to me and said, write this over now, man, that would be a totally different book than that book Right, you'd, is. St- you'd start by setting fire to it. <laughs> oh my, exactly. I'd start by setting <laughs> yeah. fire to it. And there's always that element of, like, cringeworthiness to it. But being, like, a huge music fan and a metalhead and everything, there's also a feeling of it, well, of, like... Yeah, man, that's my first album. So mm. it, it is what it is. Like it's and right. it's gonna. You, you're aware of all the flaws that. and stuff, and totally. Yeah, but yeah. A, but at the same time, it captures a mood and an energy that you'll never get again because you had it at that particular time. One hundred percent, exactly. Unique to like, it. Yeah. The things that you're influenced by at the time that you're creating something, you can't recreate that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll never have that again. It is what like what was inspiring you at the time is what was inspiring you and there's yeah. no way to bottle that and go back and which is why that whole the whole remix remaster thing is always kind of fraught with danger. Well, yeah, you know, it is. It really is. I think it goes back to what I was saying at the start about this this album and its you know personal associations for me, taking the coach down to London or what have you. You know, that was a moment in my life that I can't do again because it, it was very much specific to that time. Those those records were what I was listening to. That journey was what I was doing. And if I got on a coach now from Digbeth, stuck at the gates on my headphones, it would not be the same experience. It would not be the same mindset. It would not be the same excitement. You can't go back and and do the same thing again. If nothing else, where, years later, it's, if, yeah. if, if nothing else, where would you find a Walkman? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, trust me. I've looked on eBay or something, you know, like new in box. Like I'll totally go back to Walkman days. But, uh, but you know, the other thing too, is like those albums, like when they come out, like the, the original version of, of this album, like those are the, even the imperfections get ingrained into your brain. And like, for me, that's one of the reasons I don't like, like Megadeth's. And if you're playing the drinking game, there you go. Uh, here's your Megadeth mention for today. When Mustaine went and and remixed and remastered those 2004 albums, like there were imperfections in Rust in Peace, even though it is a masterpiece of an album Mm -hmm. that I missed when they were gone. Like in in, uh, Holy Wars, there is a part 
toward the end of the song where they're doing those furious chugs and then they stop and all the sound drops out. And there's a moment in there where you can hear the feedback. And when you scrub that out, that song is not the same anymore. Even though that wasn't a note they were playing and it wasn't, that was part of that song. And when you take that away, that's not the same song. Now it feels uh, more lifeless to me. Whereas before it was just the, to me, that was part of the raw energy of that particular song. So yeah, it, it is, as you said, Anthony, dangerous when you go back to, to mess with something in the interest of making it better. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I mean, it's not always bad because, no. uh, you know, but it is different and you've got to, you've got to approach it in a different way. And if you are one of the people who first encountered the original, chances are you're going to prefer it. You know, even though the remix mm, remaster sure. may be to a newcomer, somebody may listen to, you know, who's never heard them before may compare them and go, well, that one's clearly better because it sounds better, but absolutely, that's because they don't have that emotional historical life connection to that music. It's like we said on the, the death episode, um, where, you know, they, they've remastered all of the death records and I'm like, I don't like the remasters. <laughs> and that's because, you know, death to me is slightly tinny. It is, yeah. you know, the, the bass is a bit inaudible in places. It is kind of harsh sounding, but that's what they sound like to yeah. me. Yeah. Agreed. Right. I mean, especially, you know, if you're into black metal, a oh, lot God, of that yeah. early black metal is uh, a big part of it is how horrific it sounds. Right, yeah. Well, and even worse when you were getting it via tape trading. And oh, so yeah, you've got yeah, all yeah, tape hiss and it's been copied yeah. 10 times before it reaches you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting well, and those of us some who of those... grew up with that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, those of us who grew up with that stuff, like we, that's part of music for us. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like there's, there's something about something being too clean where you're just like, yeah. I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm used to, you know, we're used to hearing it on the radio. We're used to, you know, hearing it through the speakers on our television and listening to it on cassette, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, you know, that's part of my love for motorhead is, you know, slightly dirty, slightly sloppy. It's not yeah. mega polished and clean because that's, you know, that's rock music. Yeah. Right. All right. All right, so uh, let's bring it to a close there and say thank you, CJ, for coming on and chatting to us. My pleasure. Thank where, you for having me. Uh, yeah, you, no, you're awesome. really welcome. Yeah. No, this was a lot of fun. So where can people find you online? Are you on Twitter or Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, CJ Lines, um, cjlines.com, if you're so inclined. Um, and yeah, Facebook, uh, CJ Lines, I'm on the Thrash It Out Facebook group. So uh, oh, that's fantastic. Know, so you've got, you can just grow, you, by combining the your initials and surname, you can just get any social media. Is it unusual Pretty enough much. that you can get any account? Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, it just comes across as schlines, which nobody's going to get. So. <laughs> so I do have one question before we wrap up, though. So if oh, people on. like me listened to this album and it and they loved it, are there other At The Gates albums that they should check out? Or are there other bands that, like, if I'm saying, like, yeah, melodic death metal, man, like, that really clicked with me. This this album sort of made me think differently about that stuff. Is there something else you would say, oh, then you should go check out this now? That's that's an interesting question. Um, I think definitely check out the other other Gates albums. Uh, I think probably the closest in spirit to this one is the second album uh, with Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness, 
which okay. is also my second favourite Ever Gates album. That is a lot rawer than this, but I think it captures the same kind of songwriting um, style. Uh, whereas the the other three, uh, I, I mean, I love all of their albums, but I, I think those two in particular are something special. Um, and yeah, the other band, it's an obvious one, but if if you do like this, um, the Haunted was basically which was basically uh, them again, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, the first Haunted album is so good. It, it's just like a, a natural extension of uh, of this musically uh, but with completely insane vocals um, from a guy called Peter Dolving who is a fantastic singer um, and he was properly (laughs) at his most uh, feral on that first Haunted album so I'd highly recommend that as well I will definitely check both of those out yeah yeah that was I will add that to our standard list of questions that was a very good question um all right, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, remember, if you enjoy Thrash It Out, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes and Google Play. And if you want to support the show and be in with a chance of getting your own backstage pass, go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and pledge today. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com for links to email and Twitter. Or, of course, you can join the Facebook group and see us and CJ there at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out that is all for now and we'll see you next time take care